Well, to come back to God's Word today, let's just start by listening. Don't open anything yet. You can't, oh, somebody was like, well, you did, but that's okay. You did, but just, just listen to the Word of God, and then we'll get into our text. We'll open it up and have your notes out as well. But just listen first as we start today. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Would you pray with me? Lord, bless our time as we open your word. Let us hear from you today, God. Speak through me. Let me speak your words, Lord. And what would not be of you, may it be silent on my tongue. Open our hearts to hear your message today, God, as we travel again through the Psalms. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, we jump back today as I, into, as I just prayed, our new series, our mini-series, I guess you'd call it, traveling through the Psalms to a wisdom psalm. Uh, one of Solomon's, you might see there in the title uh, of your uh, a Bible there, the heading there in Psalm 127. Remember, Psalm 127, this little group is a psalm of ascents, uh, 120 to 134. These psalms of ascents, they're uh, called, ascent. They were psalms that were written or, and sung by pilgrims as they were on their way towards Jerusalem, towards the holy city, as they were going up the hills uh, to worship there in the temple. These songs or psalms, they, they sung to have encouragement on their way as they went to Jerusalem. Well, today we're going to talk about work. Part of what we're going to talk about is work. And work is a big part of our lives, isn't it? The work we do. It's something most of us began doing, probably at a young age, maybe in our late teenage years, and something we'll continue to do for decades, right? Some of you are thinking like, yes, in many decades. Decades, our work life. But like any area of life, any area of life, we can get it wrong. And we can get work wrong as we think about our work life. In a couple of ways I can think of. Here's, here's as we think about our work life now. On the one hand, work can become an all-consuming idol. Or career advancement. Or making a dollar. Making profit. Trumps everything else. To the detriment of family. Or friends. Or church life. Or our own rest. Or our own health. Work yourself to the bone, right, is the phrase. That's one way. That's work done with, really without a consideration of God or, or, or a view of work that is lacking God's view of work. Well, like the greatest construction project that ever took place. You know what that one was? Yeah, the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11. The greatest construction project ever taken up as they attempted to build a tower up to heaven and say, they said, let's build a name for ourselves, not God. Let's glory in ourselves. And how did that turn out? 
<laughs> not so good, right? We're still recovering from the effects of that, right? Uh, try communicating with somebody in another language, right? That's part of that fiasco that took place there. We're still recovering from that, that big construction project. That's one. How do we misuse or uh, misview work? On the other end of the spectrum, work can be something a lot of us run from. There's been some people that have read Psalm 127. They see, well, look, unless the Lord builds, unless, the, unless the God does the work, Christians don't really need to do anything. God does all the work. Unless he builds it, right? Well, in 2 Thessalonians, Paul had to address some that had taken that view. They kind of stopped working. And he reprimanded them. Some who had taken this viewpoint, and they become lazy and idle and slothful. And Paul said, you need to work. Work is good. Keep doing good work, he said, and he encouraged them. When it comes to our working life, there's this tendency for us to vacillate between this kind of identity, my value, frantic kind of production work life, and sort of a, maybe other side, a pessimistic, pessimistic kind of passivity. Eh, what difference can I make, right? What difference can one person do? And we kind of can vacillate between those. Well, this morning, we're going to look at what it means to work well. And to rest well, and how the gospel frees us to do both. And just in case you're thinking, well, what does this have to do with me? I'm retired, right? I know we've got a few people here that have entered into that phase, maybe more than a few, retired, right? What does this have to do with me? I want to encourage you to think bigger about your work. We may retire from paid vocation, right? And probably all of us will someday. Paid vocation. But we never retire from our role and work as disciples of Jesus Christ, right? And this applies there too. This is all of us, right? So grab your outline. Hopefully you got it open there. The text as well to Psalm 127. We're just going to hit two principles today. Two principles today that are going to help us think about work and rest well. Work and rest. And here's our first one today. We work well when we work with God. We work best. We work well when we do our work with God. Here verses 1 and 2 again. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, I don't know if it's our culture's obsession with the idea of uh, what it means to be a superhuman or a super worker or our own self-importance as we go enter into our work life. But something we're reminded of last week in the psalm, where the psalmist again kind of takes us there as well, that we need to be reminded of again, almost daily, is that God is central. God is the creator. I'm not self-existent. Someone made me. There's one who comes before me. There's one who made me, who I'm dependent on. And because of that, I have needs. Psalm gives us a great warning about this self-importance that we all struggle with or the amnesia we have when we think about our need to have a, that we have a creator, that he goes before us in all things. It speaks about that. And it gives us a warning about even the self-importance that a lot of times all of us struggle with, but also the need for rest as finite creatures. Creatures who are made. The rest you and I need. Work is good. Some of you like hear that. Like, how many of the worst words you've ever heard in your life? 
Work is good. Work is good. God works. And on some level, the busyness even at times of of our life of discipleship, of Christian discipleship, is great. Work is good. But the premise uh, for this psalm is that God is central to all life. Our work, our rest, and that all our frantic work apart from God, our efforts, they're futile. They're futile. And anxiety producing even, the psalm says. And vain, the psalm says. The psalm tells that this, the Christian takes this seriously. That God is actually before all things, all our work. In the beginning, it says what? God created. In other words, in the beginning, God worked. God worked. He did a work. And so we too then become part of work. We're made, we're created to work. We're also finite and have needs. And all the work and even play or rest that we do, or all our busyness, has to always be reoriented, redirected, pointed back towards Him as the center, Him as the the, the director, Him as the ultimate worker who started work before us. And then us then is His hands and feet. He is the ultimate worker. We have to remember this. Unless, the psalm said, that's an important word there. Unless, unless it said. Unless we have to remember this. How do we remember it? How do we reorient ourselves? There's a few ways. We, we remember by just praying, by coming to God as we think about our work life, that God, I work for you ultimately. God, you're my ultimate boss. You're the one I'm accountable to. You're the one who's gone before me and created work and made it good. And we pray that and we think that. Another way, we use wisdom when we come to our work life. And we go after seeking to live and go after the things that He loves and treat people the way He would have us treat them in our work life. Prayer, wisdom. Here's another way. We seek to live as disciples not just on Sunday, but every day where we live most of our life. Where? If you're working full time in your work. We seek to live as disciples not just on Sunday, but every day. So we think these thoughts. What are our goals? What's, what, how would we define the good life as it relates to our career? How would we view that? Is it through uh, a giant portfolio or more clients or a perfect record or our accomplishments? Or is our work life ultimate goal actually even there too? Holy obedience. Do you view your work life that way? Holy obedience is God's call. As we think about Him doing a work and Him working through us. Unless, the psalmist says, unless God builds, unless God watches, we work, the psalmist says, futility. It's vain, he says, to work without a thought of God. We can compartmentalize, can't we? Sunday morning, Sunday morning, and my work life is my work life, right? Just there. That's not what God, how God wants us to view it. He wants us to work with Him in mind. Without it, it's the race without God. What's it called? The rat race. The rat race. Jackie Gleason said this about it. The trouble with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. 
Even if you win, you're still a rat. Unless, the psalmist says, we're not rats. We're creatures made in God's image. The psalmist knows that and he says, unless, unless, we will never rest. Be full of anxiety, anxious toil, up early, to bed late, burning the candle at both ends, part of the rat race without viewing God, work through our God. The rat race. It's like the Tower of Babel. To what end are you working? Whether it's a vocation, full-time paid, or, or other work that you do, or work in the church, to what end are you working? Isn't it just possible, maybe, that your fatigue, maybe it's my fatigue, our anxiety, or the lack of joy we get from work. I, I struggle with that, even. The lack of joy you get from work could start right here. And we need to acknowledge, maybe for the first time, that our work goals are off. The way we view work is maybe even off a little bit. Or maybe we're missing the fact that we've been created by God to enter into work. It's a good thing that God has given us as we work in the world. Or to work with Him in mind and His goals in mind as we think about our work life. To work with the goal of loving the things He loves. Loving the people you work with as He loves them. Or seeing work as good because God works. Maybe we just start there to redeem that place of work. Or maybe it's possible this morning you need to reorient yourself to the God who works first and in and through you. Remember, unless, the psalm says, unless God works. Eugene Peterson understood this when he had this quote. He said, when we acknowledge that unless, when we acknowledge that, that God is working first and point all our work towards Him, that it's freeing, actually. It's, it, it's liberating. He said this, Christian discipleship by orienting us in God's work and setting us in the mainstream of what God is already doing, unless, unless, frees us from the compulsiveness of work. You ever felt that? The compulsiveness of work. There's a guy, his name was Hillary of Tours. He taught that every Christian must be constantly vigilant against what he called a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. What's he saying? We forget that God is working. We live our daily life and even in our working world and forget that God is working in. God is working through. God is before all things. He called it, we have this compulsion almost, a blasphemous anxiety. To forget that God is working. In other words, he's saying we all work. Work has dignity. And God works. But we work God's work. We jump into His stream. He's already doing things. And as we, then we as creatures then, we're freed from anxiety. Freed from compulsion. When we acknowledge Him as the center of all things. Our work life church life and work with his heart towards things here's what that means then profit and power and prestige and a great resume or the highest tower on the block they can't be ends in and of themselves they can't be the end is this when we work well 
when we work with God in mind and towards God's goals and in our work towards His loves and investing in what He loves. It's our second premise. The first one is we work well when we work with God. The second one is this. We work well when we invest well. When we invest well. So number one, think about reorienting your thoughts, your mind as you work towards the God who already works before us and in us and through us. But secondly, when we invest well. The psalm really shows us two places to invest as we work. And it gives us an example of what that kind of work looks like. What does it look like that we are part of God's work, but he's really the one doing work, but we're part of it. You might call it easy work, to view your work that way. Well, what's, the, what's a good example of that? The psalm gives it to us, a work that we're part of, that's really not what you'd call work, and something that he is really the one doing the work. You know what it is? Making babies. Some nervous giggles out there. Making babies. That's what the psalm is getting at here. So in contrast to this anxious vain kind of labor that's done without consideration of God, in contrast to someone working without trusting God's work and providence or without any thought of Him, Solomon highlights and commends the effortless work of making babies. Making babies. Procreation now, okay? Or sex. I said it. There's the word. Okay, get it out of the way. I feel like I'm with a bunch of nervous sixth graders in sex ed and everybody's like, what's he going to say? Sometimes we have to talk about these things. God's Word talks about them, right? All right, look at verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children's, children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Here we have a picture a picture as, as children, as a blessing from the Lord. As contrary to our, our, our culture that portrays them maybe as a nuisance or a hindrance to our working life or an accessory for us to, accessory for us to dress up any way we want. But the psalmist says they're fruit. They're, they're a blessing. It's hard. This is hard for many of us as to speak to some of us as parents or grandparents too in this room as you are part of that process of helping raise children. This is hard to hear the words, sometimes you hear the word, a blessing. Because it doesn't always feel like that. Many times we work as in our working world or you work because it is work as we raise children and parent them and grandparent them. We can also have a false vision there like with our working life, of what's the good life? What's, the, what's a, a vision for what parenting is? What it means to be a parent? What's the goal of, what's the good life in parenting? When we hear and we see what, what they're a blessing, sometimes we think, well then, they're a blessing. It, it, it shouldn't be this hard, right? It shouldn't be this hard. This doesn't feel like a blessing. It shouldn't be this hard. Is we're called to, to shepherd them, to oversee them, to train their hearts. We can have a, fall, a view that says, well, if they're a blessing, it should be easy. 
but it too is a good work. Yes, a hard work. But maybe we've just gotten a false vision of what it should be, and we're defining it as we would see fit, and maybe not as God defines it. I love this quote by Jen Wilkin. She said, the goal of, Christian, of the Christian parent is to prepare a child to live in a world that's not their home. We've got a big task as parents, as grandparents. And it may not feel like it all the time that it's a blessing. But in the same way that God uses our work life and His greater purpose is to make us holy, to make us obedient, the good life of parenting, the blessing of being a parent is sometimes the difficulty in it. I can't think of anything more than parenting that actually shows me my need of God. Can you think about that? Maybe it's grandparent. You've had those days even as a grandparent, but you definitely did as a parent. Or a babysitter even now, you could even say. Nothing. I mean, it just shows me my need of God more. Souls that He's put in my charge, that I'm to steward and oversee, to care for, to shepherd, to train, to prepare them to live in another world. That's a big calling. But maybe it's that in the blessing is actually in the fact that it shows us how much we need God as a parent, as a grandparent, as someone who's a Sunday school teacher even. This is all of us. We're all called to to, to interact with the next generation of, of believers, of Christians. Having kids, we said it's an example of God's work in the world, that kind of easy work. Here's the question. How much work did you have to do to get children? Not a lot, right? And we don't really call it work, do we? It's the gift of procreation. It's a miracle in many ways. Yes, here's how it is. It requires our participation. But at the end of the day, God is the one who makes them ultimately, right? He is the creator. We participate in his work of creating sons and daughters. And not just physically, but spiritually too. Not just physically, but spiritually too. We participate in his work. The Lord is the one who truly builds the house, isn't he? The physical house, but also the biological house, but also the spiritual house. The Lord builds it. We get to participate in it. You get to be active in it. You get to be part of it. You and I, in the home and in the church, too. Just as much a part of it. The psalm gives a picture here of, of raising them up in God's ways. Whether you're, as I said, you're a parent, a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, a nanny, a babysitter, you, a teacher. You come into contact with children anywhere. You have a moment where you take part in that. Of bringing them up. Of raising them up in God's ways. So what the psalm picks is that, yes, something that begins very tiresome, very taxing, very burdensome. Yes, as we lead them to be Straight arrows. Arrows don't start straight, maybe. We, we make them that way as we think of children. We're, we're part of that straightening process. They become, even more so, a true blessing that Psalm's pointing to in old age. As we age, verse 5 is saying, they'll stand with you in the gate. They'll be there with you. There's really a place of, uh, of debate of legal debate. And the psalmist is painting a picture of 
Yes, you raise them when they're young, and it is hard, but it's a blessing. And you'll see that, the psalmist says, as you go forward in life, as you age and they age, and, and children that at one time you might have thought, it's a hindrance, becomes a friend, becomes a companion, stands with you in the gate. So the psalmist is saying, investing well, investing in those children, and that's what God is asking us to do as Christians and as a church. Invest in what He loves. Invest in people. Invest in people. That's what the psalmist is really saying here. This isn't just for those that have children. This, this is really saying invest in people. That's what matters to God. Invest in people. This is good work. This is God's work. So to do God's work well, to work with Him, whether it's your 9 to 5 job, or here at Bethany as we build disciples, help people follow Jesus, or in your home as parents and grandparents, or friends of children or families, we invest in people. We invest in relationships. That's what the psalmist is saying here in this, this second half. I mean, isn't that what Jesus is all about? Think about him for a minute. He didn't have any biological children of his own. He didn't have any of his own. But isn't he creating a family of God? A family of God. Jesus said this in Matthew 12. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and brothers. Here's my people. Here's my family. He wasn't saying he, he, wasn't saying he didn't love his mother and didn't realize that there was a biological mother and siblings. What he's saying is, these two are my family. And, and, and much more so than even my biological family that doesn't believe in Christ. We have a family here. That's what Jesus was about. And he said, these are my, this is my mother and my brothers. He's creating a family. And so when we work well, we invest in relationships. So let's think about that then. What does it mean? Well, it means, number one, if you're somebody in the working world and you're at a desk or computer, it means look up from your screen a bit more. Or, at home, look up from our technology a bit more. All those things. It means those things. As Jesus says, the psalm says, invest in people, right? means commit to grandparenting, to parenting, to building a true home with the Lord. It means having a conversation with someone new, possibly, a coworker that you've never spoken to. Invest in people. It means all those things. Doing the hard work, which is the blessed work, as we think about our home and our as, uh, parenting, of training children, of going through the trenches through those hard years of, of infancy, of toddlers, of going through those cleaning up the throw up, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Uh, those hard years of doing that work, we invest because it's worth it when they stand with us in the gate where they become a disciple here at Bethany, and we see them trust, trust Christ for the first time, whether you're their biological parent or their spiritual parent in the pew, when we see that, it's worth it. We invest well. But one final thing we forget, we talk about work today, I think about busyness, of working hard in our work life, but working hard here in the church, we forget sometimes to not only invest in people, but to invest in rest. How many have trouble stopping sometimes? You just kind of always have that feel of, I see a couple hands, you just feel like that on the go, 
You have trouble resting well. We have to invest in rest, too, to work well. And I want to talk about that for a minute. Take a look again uh, at verse 2. Let's read it one more time. It's vain you rise up early and go, to late, uh, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We have a theology of sleep here. Who's ever heard of theology of sleep before? Not me. But we've got it here. We've got a theology of sleep, what God thinks of, of, of sleep. Part of our remembering that we're creatures is remembering that God made us finite. You and I need sleep. Any amens out there from parents? Yeah, or anybody, right? <laughs> yeah, we need sleep. He made us finite. We don't get to go forever without stopping. Not only do we need to see the Lord is working before and in and through, but we also need to trust that. And that's where sleep comes in. When we do trust that, that He's working in and through, we can rest. You can actually stop for a moment and rest because you're trusting that and you can sleep. Did you know that God made us at least post-fall, this is how we are, that a third of our, almost a third of our lives w- would be flat. Doing what? Sleep. Sleeping. Almost a third of our life, we would be flat asleep. Think about that for a minute. Almost a third. That's a lot of your life. He's in bed, asleep. To sleep means to say this. God, you'll be okay without me for a few minutes. You'll be okay without me for a few minutes. You're working. I'm going to go to sleep. You'll be okay without me. Some of us struggle with this, with sleep. Some of you are going like, yeah, I have trouble. And maybe you have that feeling of anxiously toiling. I struggle with this. Can you relate? I mean, it was last night even, 2 a.m., I kind of sprung. I was like, my head just kind of, boom, kind of popped awake. And I was thinking about things. Or you've ever done that. You've woke up in the night, you're thinking about that tough conversation you have to have. Or something that you've got to get done. Oh, I forgot to put that on my to-do list. Oh, I forgot to get that done today. I've got to do that. Or a deadline coming up. Or something like that at work. And it plays in your mind, doesn't it? 2 a.m. Over and over and over and over. Sometimes the best thing you can do in that moment, and what, something I've done is I just go, what can I actually do about this right now? What? Nothing. I'm laying in bed, right? Trying to sleep. What can, I, what can you actually do about this, Jeff, right now? Nothing. Nothing, really, except anxiously toil. That's a time to remember. That's what I'm doing there, really, is unless God works. What can I really do right now in bed about this situation that's keeping me going, keeping me up? Unless God works, the psalmist says. The time to remember that. Maybe some of us think it's, maybe, godlier to forego sleep and just keep going and going and going. Maybe you remember some of those biographies you read of Christian saints, right? The great Christian saint that got up at 4 a.m. to pray and we think sleep is laziness, sleep is not godliness. Yes, they got up at 4, but they went to bed at 7 because they had no electricity, right? Think about that. Right? Remember that. Most of them actually got more sleep than us because of that. No electricity. They went to bed at 7. D.A. Carson, he's this brilliant scholar, right? Brilliant theologian. And yet he tells us, you need to get sleep. Look at what he says. If you're among those, coming up here on a quote, 
If you're among those who become nasty, cynical, or even full of doubt when you're missing sleep, you're morally obligated to try to get the sleep you need. (laughs) It's a funny quote, isn't it? Not very often you hear a theologian say that. If you're nasty and you just get cranky, you're morally obligated to get some sleep. A lot of us know sleep can be hard. Maybe you have a newborn, or you've got kids, little kids. Or maybe you're somebody that struggles even with uh, a fallenness of our biology, insomnia, and you just can't sleep. But each of us, as we can, would be wise to heed God's Word here the best we can. Remember, unless God builds, unless God watches, when we live that, we are acknowledging that God is in control. And it's okay to get a little sleep. And that's why you can rest, actually. Because the psalmist is saying, unless, unless, he's saying God is in control. You can rest. Some of you might hear that and go, okay, maybe he's in control, but my life is crazy. My life feels out of whack. I'm anxious. Maybe you've lost a job or there's some illness in there in your life or relationships that are broken. You say, how am I supposed to rest? How am I supposed to stop? You don't know my life, Pastor Jeff. Why should I trust him? If he is in control, he seems like he's doing a really lousy job. You ever felt that? I can't tell you the exact reason. I can't tell you the exact reason he's allowed some of those things into your life. But Jesus wants to tell you right now that whatever the reason, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because he doesn't love you. It can't be that because God himself was willing to lose his son, wasn't he? God himself was willing to let his son be crushed so that you can rest. It can't be that. I can't maybe tell you or your friends and family can't tell you maybe the specific reason God allowed that trial in your life, but it can't be because he doesn't love you. Because he was willing to suffer too. He was willing to die too. It can't be that. So I can tell you that. And that is a lot. That's a lot. And he wants to give you rest. Jesus said in Matthew 11, what did he say? Do you remember those those words? Come to me, he said. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. That's that anxious toil. Heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest, not only in life, but rest for your souls. Your soul. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. It's an invitation to rest. It's taking a breath sometimes even. It's like, I need to take a breath to rest. Come to Jesus, our eternal rest. It's where the true investment is made. It's where the eternal investment is made. Invest in our eternal rest, Jesus. Come to Jesus, our eternal rest. You think about work. You think about anxiety producing life. Your lack of ability to just stop and rest. Come to Jesus, our eternal rest. So take courage. Not only is He in control of your life, but he's controlling in a way, as Jesus' word showed us, gently. 
gently in control, humble as Jesus is, wanting to give you rest. Some of you are so weary today, tired. He's saying, come, come to me. Come to Jesus. Last year I read through, it took a year, Moby Dick or more. It probably was longer. I like to read fiction and it was my background in college and uh, I never read this. I never read this and I wanted to. It's a classic of literature, Moby Dick. Some of you know a little about the story. No one struggled more with the compulsion to work. The inability to rest, obsessively working. You know who I'm talking about? More than Captain Ahab. Right, you hear some, of you, some of you heard the story, seen a movie, a version. There's a lot of, a lot of good ones. Nobody struggled with that. Think of this kind of obsession, of this kind of vain work. I'm going to take a bunch of men out of the sea and we're going to search for one whale among the whole sea. Talk about obsession. We're going to search for, for revenge. I want revenge on this one whale and we're going to find him amongst a sea of thousands of whales. Obsessive work for revenge. That, I mean, that's Tower of Babel working. That's Genesis 11. Working vainly. Working without God. Working towards some crazy end that seems impossible. But he's a little piece of you and I when we don't rest in Jesus Christ. We don't rest in Jesus. Take a look. We enter into his cabin here. Captain Ahab now. Revenge. He's mad with anger. And he's pouring over these nautical charts, okay? They're in front of him on his table. Ahab would mutter to himself, as after pouring over his charts till long after midnight, he would throw himself back in revelries tallied him, like tracked him, tallied him, and shall he escape? And here his mad mind would run on in a breathless race till a weariness, there's that fatigue, and faintness of pondering came over him. And in the open air of the deck, he would seek to recover his strength. Oh God, what trances of torments does that man endure who's consumed with one unachieved, revengeful desire? He sleeps with clenched hands and wakes with his own bloody nails in his palms some of us go to sleep with clenched hands and we wake with bloody nails in our palms in fact some of us walk around through life like that with those clenched hands don't we it's a picture i mean not literally but it's a picture of a man who has no Some of you today don't have rest because you haven't come to Jesus Christ and heeded His invitation for the first time. To come to Him. Come to Me. The rest He gives is the rest of knowing that first time your sins are paid for. That's the first rest. And you're in perfect peace with your Maker. In fact, the reason you have so much anxiety, maybe, so much restlessness is because you know you aren't right. And so you keep working harder and harder and harder in all different kinds of ways to be a good dad, to be a good friend, to be a good employee. And something still isn't right. Maybe you haven't come the first time to find rest in Jesus. Have that restful assurance of Christ as Savior. Humbly come to Jesus today. Begin trusting Him. 
salvation. salvation. Jesus was humble. Jesus was gentle. Tell him your works, they do fall short. But you know you're, you're a sinner, sinner in need. Forgiveness. That was the, that was the ultimate work, wasn't it? When he made it, made it possible at that cross. It's the ultimate, ultimate work. The ultimate, the ultimate. He took the violence. So you and I, you and I have, have rest, rest. He did the, he did work, the work so that you and I, and I have rest, rest. That's what he did. Yeah, he did. So let me know Christ. But you have to have that first time. And yet you and still yet you feel, feel like you go to, go to, go to bed with clenched, clenched fists. Yes. We need to remember. You need to remember. I need to remember that whatever's going on in your life, God doesn't want to crush you. He already did that with his son. He doesn't want to crush you. He loves you. Didn't Jesus say, my yoke is light. My yoke is light. You're tied to him. Yoke, right? You're yoked to Him, and He is gentle and lowly, and He's leading you today through that restful trust. We've got to trust that. He doesn't want to crush you. He's changing you. And someday He's taking us to eternal rest and peace. Remember, it's His vision of the good life now. In work, in family, in raising kids, it's his vision of the blessed life that we want to follow after. And that's what the psalm points us today. His vision. A lot of us, this isn't our vision of work, of parenting, of rest. It needs to be because it's God's vision. It's God's word. And we need to just kind of remember that. And just unclench those fists a little bit. A little bit. And trust and use those hands and to grab Jesus again as you unclench them. To grab him again and rest. Rest even as you work. Two principles today that balance our work life. Between that frantic, all my identity and my work, production, and sort of that pessimistic, uh, pessimistic passivity. How, what did I do? What, it doesn't really matter what I do. Remember, here they are. We work well when we work with God. We work well when we invest well in people, in rest, and in the eternal rest we find in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this passage. We thank you for this psalm.